Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to church. Welcome at home. We are going to be going through the Word of God. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 because that's where we're going to continue. And um, before we get there, I just want to remind you, if you're new, just type in new on Facebook or, or YouTube, and one of our team will definitely get back to you. If you're online, there's a little tab there. It just says um, visitor, I think, or, or new, and you just click on that, and it's going to take you to where you need to be. We'd love to be able to connect with you. Let me remind you again that tomorrow, what's today, Sunday, tomorrow night, we are praying, yeah? Um, we have a prayer meeting. We have got some pastors from the area coming in uh, to pray with us, and it's going to be a good time. If you want to join us in person, please sign up, and, um, but join us online if, you, if you're not going to be able to get here. But we're going to have a good time from 7 to 8, I think it is, tomorrow night. So join us in our prayer meeting. Okay. All right, we're going to continue now in Ephesians chapter 4. Remember last week, I started by preaching about... Paul who is urging us to do something. He wants us to walk in a, in a manner worthy of our calling. And, I, I, and I'm hoping if you did listen to the sermon last week that you'd remember that this is, this is where it all starts. When you become a believer, when you give your life to Jesus, the goal isn't just that you get to eternity. I mean, that's one of the best goals ever. We're going to have eternity. But the day I invite Christ into my life and I become a follower of Jesus Christ, he puts me into a family. He calls it the ecclesia of God. It's the called out ones. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with this family or not, you're part of it. It's like a real family. You know? And you've got no choice. God has put you into a family. And um, he's asking us, Paul, he urges us to walk in a particular way in this family. He tells us that, that this word worthy means to balance the scales. And basically when you understand everything that Jesus has done for you and the weight of that, the obvious and only response to that is that we take the weight of our lives and we balance the scales as we live for him. And he, remember, if you remember, he urged us to keep unity in the body of Christ. Keep unity in your relationships in the body of Christ. Keep unity in your life group. Keep unity in the ministries you're involved. Work hard at maintaining unity in your local church, the Bond Christian Fellowship. Maintain unity in the church in, in Randburg and in South Africa and in the world. We are called to that. There should never be dissensions or, or, or factions or divisions in the body of Christ because we're one body, one body. And so that's where we ended last week. That verses 1 to 6 of chapter 4 tell us to keep unity. Paul continues to speak about the church. And so we're going to continue speaking about the church this morning. I was very tempted to just speak straight out of my heart this morning because this, this topic is very close to my heart. And I think as pastors, it's close to our hearts. And so we're going to go for it. But verses 7 to 16, Paul is urging us to walk in a manner worthy in another area of the church that is uh, something that we all have to take responsibility for, and that is to build up the church by using the gifts that God has given you. And so let's um, start this morning by looking at an illustration. I was looking through some stories during the week, and I picked up two stories about wallpaper, wallpaper of all things. The first one is this. Did you know that bubble wrap was actually designed to be wallpaper? Wouldn't it be cool to have your room full of bubble wrap, wouldn't it? Some of us need some padding in our rooms, yeah. But, um, but that's what it was designed for. It obviously didn't work. 
And so only later when the computer industry began to flourish and they start to move equipment around, that they then decide that maybe bubble wrap's the best way to put, put your PC into because it won't get damaged. And so that's how we got to use bubble wrap as we use it today. Another example is Play-Doh. Did you know that Play-Doh was created by a soap manufacturing com company to do this, to clean wallpaper? You know, you can see the logic behind it, eh? But it, didn't, it wasn't very successful. Only 20 years later did this guy's son decide that, hey, this might be a good toy for kids. And they started to create Play-Doh as we know it today. Well, the point of these two stories is this. Is sometimes things start off and are designed for something, but they drift away from their intention. Now, these are positive stories, but negative stories are also true. Things are designed for something, but they drift away from the intention that the designer had. My question as I was preparing um, during the week and my question to you today is, has the church drifted from the intention that God has had, has had for it? Have we drifted from the intention that God has for us as his body, as his children, and as the church? And so let's read together. Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended from far above all the heavens, that he may fill all things. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the ministry the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of which the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried away or about by every wind of doctrine but by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see in verse seven, it starts off with this word, but. And so we understand that Paul is starting to change gears a little bit. He came from this place where he was talking about the unity that there is in the church, and he says, but, and he starts now to talk to us about the diversity that there is in the church, and that the diversity that comes into the church is because we all have different giftings. We all play a different role in the body of Christ. He looks at two particular types of giftings. He looks at the giftings that each believer has and he looks at the gifting that God has given his church to equip believers to be able to go and do what God's called them to do. You may ask yourself this morning, what is a spiritual gift? That is a very good question. I'll give you a technical definition. A spiritual gift is a divine empowerment placed on each believer by the Holy Spirit to accomplish a given ministry God's way according to his grace and discernment to be used within the context of the body of Christ. I'll read it again. A spiritual gift is a special divine empowerment placed on each believer by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the given ministry God's way according to his grace and discernment to be used in the context of the body of Christ. I think, I'll be honest with you, I think we, we make this far too technical. 
I believe that God has given us gifts and, and this is what a gift looks like. It's when you get into the body of Christ and you begin to serve and there's something that you do that you absolutely love and you absolutely thrive and you can see God using you and there's fruit in the work that you're doing. I believe when you are in that kind of space, you are absolutely 100% within the gifting that God has placed over your life. I think we get too technical with all these questionnaires and is there seven and is there nine and find the space where you thrive in the body of Christ, where you see the fruit of God working through your life. That's probably, you are probably then working in the giftings that God has placed over your life. I think that it's important that you look for your gifting, but one of the biggest indications of gifting, I believe, is fruit. Many times in the body of Christ, we, we deal with people, I'll use a, a, an example, if I had to come and say I'm gifted to lead worship, and uh, I lead worship on a Sunday and everybody is crying, they're not crying because of the anointings, yeah, they're crying because they would love me to leave the place. Because it's not my gifting. As much as I want it to be my gifting, it's not my gifting because there's no fruit in it. And so one of the biggest indications for me when I look at gifting is where is the fruit? Is there fruit to this thing that you call your gift? If there's not, then it probably means that you need to start to engage more with your leaders around you and with God and find the space and the gift that God has given you. You see, Paul writes to us and he, to, to each one of us, and this is where it becomes pertinent to every single believer. He says that each one of us has been given a gift by God through Christ, and it's a gift of grace. He has the point this morning. Every single person who has given their life to Jesus Christ has been given a gift to be used to build up the body of Christ for the glory of God. Every single believer, the day you put your faith in Christ, God gives you a gift. And so when you look at the word of God, you'll see that it, uh, the New Testament often teaches this principle. In 1 Peter 4, 8 to 11, Peter writes, he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul writes, he says, Now there are, various, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in every one. Listen to that, in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In Romans 12, three to eight, Paul writes this. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So though many are one in body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And so this you can write in your, if you're writing a thing, and, and maybe turn to the person next to you and say, God's given you a gift. God has given you a gift. The first thing is this. I've just mentioned it. The gift that you had has not been given to you by a pastor praying over you. 
by an apostle coming and laying hands on you. The gift you have is because God, the creator of heaven and earth, gave it to you. The Bible tells us this in Paul. He uses uh, Psalm 68 when he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. You see the picture of this verse in verse eight is this from Psalm 68. Is in Psalm 68, it's a story. It's David writing the psalm. And he's writing a psalm about how wonderful the provision and the protection and the victory is of God. And when you have victory and when you have this provision, when you have protection, you can go to your enemies and you will defeat them and you'll take their spoils. And all the captives that they had, which were, which were Israelites, you release them because they're no longer captives because you've now freed them. And in this process, in the celebration, you take the Ark of the Covenant to the top of Zion where it belongs and you rejoice as you walk in this victory. And as you walk in this victory, you start to distribute the gifts, the spoils that you had to the people around you. And the, and the captives who were captives are now free. And this is a picture of what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross. He went into the, into the depths of, of hell and he set us free. He set us free from sin. We were captives to sin, but we are free. We are free from darkness. We are free. We are forgiven. We have been set free. And part of that, the spoils of everything that Jesus did, he now comes to his church and he passes out these gifts to his church. As we rejoice and as we celebrate and as we live in this victory that Jesus has given to us in the on the cross. And so the gift you have is by God, but it's also by grace. And I think this is an important point because I really believe from, from speaking to many people about gifts over the years is that people think that a gift from God has to do with your spiritual maturity. It's got nothing to do with spiritual maturity. It has to do with your spiritual performance. No, it's got nothing to do with your spiritual performance. It's got to do with your skills and your aptitudes and your ability. It's got nothing to do with that. The Bible says it's a free gift of grace to you. That means it's given to you for mahala because God chose to give you a gift. It's freely given. It's got nothing to do with maturity, with performance, with how you feel about God. It's all got to do with God saying, Shane, here's the gift I'm gonna give you to help build up the church. There we go, it's yours. It's a free gift. The second thing we see about these gifts as we look, looked at those portions of scripture is that they varied and they differ. And two important things that we need to understand here is that I don't believe that the lists of the gifts are a, um, what's the right word? I can't think of the word, but it's not an exhaustive list of gifts. I think that the, the lists of gifts that we see are indications and categories of, of giftings that they were in the church. I believe that there are far many more gifts than just the 20 or the nine or the 15 or whatever number we go through these gift courses tend to indicate. Let me give you a good example today. Because when I read the Bible, it tells me that there were the gift of prophecies and the gift of healing. But you know what? One of the gifts that is so essential in the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ today is this online stuff. I look at these young men as they, they, they take the, all this technology and they put together, I don't know how they do it, but you, you can sit at home and the presence of God can be in your home and you can be fed and you can be built up in your home because of young men that understand how this work and work in the gifting that God has placed over their lives. But I don't see Paul writing there and there's prophecy and there's the online church and there's, no. Because a gift, and this is where I think we complicate it so much, a gift is simply this, when God empowers you, 
to do something in the body that grows the body for the glory of God. That's a gift. And so we mustn't get hung up on whether you fit into the category of the nine or the 12 or the 15. We need to get hung up on whether we are using the gift that God's given us. The second thing that's important is that, that we see from these portions of scripture is that they vary in, compa- in capacity. I think of the teaching gift. You know, when, when, uh, when, when we, we, we teach in Sunday school, you may be teaching, you know, Lauren may be a teacher at Sunday school, so she's teaching, she's teaching 20 kids. I'm standing here this morning and I'm teaching, and I'm teaching more people than that. But there's no difference in our roles and our responsibilities. The capacity may differ, but the gift operates the same. And so Lauren is gonna be accountable to God for the 20 kids that she's leading every Sunday in her teaching gift. And I'm gonna be accountable to God for this ministry of the pulpit on a Sunday where I'm speaking to a few hundred people. But before God, they are equal. But in our, when we look at it, they are different because their capacities are different. But the accountability and the responsibility remains exactly the same. And I, I wanted to mention that because I don't want you to look at somebody else's gift and go, unless it's at the level of Tim, then I have, my gift isn't important. It doesn't have to be at the level of Tim. And all it has to be is what God has called you to do. That's all it has to be. And that's what you're gonna be accountable for. And so our giftings are, are different in our capacity. We see that Paul writes, um, that uh, I think it was in 1 Peter, he says that we need to be good stewards of these gifts. I spent a bit of time about four weeks ago talking about being a good steward of your gifts. I don't wanna to speak too much about it, but I do wanna say this. The Matthew 25 tells us that God gave one coin, one talent, and then he gave two talents and he gave five talents. And that begins to indicate that there is different capacities of giftings that God has for each one of us. But we are accountable for that capacity. And you know what? There's gonna come a day when each one of us will have to stand before God and tell God whether we have been good stewards of these gifts that he's given us. And the Bible says that there's a reward that is associated to these giftings. I don't believe if you decide this today and listen to the word of God that you're not gonna use your gifting in the body of Christ. I don't believe it's an issue of salvation. I don't think it is because we're saved by grace and our faith in Jesus Christ. It can't be. But this is what it's an issue about. The Bible teaches us that there are eternal rewards and how we respond to the call and the gifts that God has put over our life has an eternal consequence in terms of the reward that you have in heaven. And so that's where, where the responsibility of being a good steward sits. We see that Paul, uh, Peter also writes there, he says that we should serve, use our gifts to serve one another. Two important points, yeah. A gift that you have and the gift that God has given you to build up the church should be serving someone. It should be serving someone. Many times when we are on mission trips, it's great because we spend a lot of time just chatting and talking through things. And I, I, I sometimes am amazed at how creative people are in their quiet times. You know, they draw these amazing pictures and they, and they have all the, and I, I, I remember saying to one, one lady, that's amazing, you're so gifted. You know, what you do there is, it would, would really bless the church. And she said to me, but this is just between me and God. And I know that, I get that. I know that that's a, a sacrifice that you're giving to the Lord. But it's a gift God's given you to build up the church. And I think that God would want to shake you on your shoulders and say, I've given this to you and I love what you're doing, but take it into my church now. People who are gifted in, in music and worship and they love it in their own quiet space where they, where they worship God together. And you say, then why don't you take this into the body of Christ where God has given you the gift to use? No, no, it's just between me and God. 
I think, oh, I want to shake you. Because God hasn't given you that gift just for you and God. He's given that gift so that the body of Christ will be built up. The second thing is that gifts are not mechanisms to be served. How many times have you seen, I see it a lot when we go into, into, um, into African countries, the pastor who is the gifted one gets served by the people. And that's the, 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 they're being served because of their gift. And I think that is so wrong. I remember walking into a church once, I think myself and Bryce, and um, here comes the pastor and somebody's carrying his briefcase and another person's carrying his Bible and somebody else is carrying his water. And there they go and they all put it down and he just sits down and I think to myself, well, there's something wrong with this picture. You know? Then he will start preaching and he started to sweat because it was hot. And so his wife runs up and every two minutes she wipes his brow. <laughs> And she runs back, and I thought to myself, you know, I look at that, and I think, that's never what the gifts are meant to be. Yes, he's a gift to the church. Yes, he's operating in his gift. But people are serving him because of his gift, where that gift should be serving the people. The, th- the next thing we see is that the gifts are for the common good of the family. I want to just touch on this word good. I found that in church, many times, and many people feel that they have the gift of criticism and correction. Now... It's good when you can bring in something that needs to improve and you've got a passion to want to improve it yourself and work at it and get it right. But it's wrong when you've got a passion to tell everybody what is not working and then you've got no desire to want to help fix the problem. That's not building up the church, that's criticizing the church. And the Bible tells us that these gifts are there to build up, to edify the body of Christ, not to break it down and to criticize it. It's for the good of the common people in the church, the common of all of us. And now I hope I'm not going to stand on anybody's toes here and at home. You see, the Bible teaches us that the gift that God gives you is for the good of the church. I know of a lady that uh, is a tremendous administrator, gifted by God, who is not using a gift in the church, but she's serving the SBCA with that gift. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it should first start in the church, because that's why you were gifted like that. You know, if you've got time after serving God in his church and building up his church with the gift that God's given you, then go and do it wherever you want to. But don't keep it from the church where it was meant to be and serve other places with the gift that God has given you. That is wrong. It's not right. We have to get it right. We have to serve God's church with a gift that is placed over your life. The last one, as we look at these gifts quickly, is that these gifts are meant to glorify God, and I think that that is obvious. But I do think we live in a culture and a society where men and women are taking their giftings to become famous, to make money, and to bring glory to themselves. I think we see all over the world Many men and women where you put the TV on and you hardly hear about glory going to God, but it's all about this person, what they're doing, who they are, and people worshiping them. And yes, they're gifted people, but those gifts are meant to bring glory to God and not to a person. And so we must watch ourselves as God uses our lives and as we step into the gifts that God has, that it doesn't become about what me, that gift is for the church, it's about him. As we get to this point, you may ask me, Nick, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? How do I find out what my spiritual gift is? Well, that's a very good question because 
I think the starting point is that you need to understand that God has gifted you. You'll only look for something when you know that there's something to find. I think too many people don't understand that God has gifted them. And so they never worry about searching and finding out what God has gifted them for. So the place to start is this understanding that God has given me a gift. And I have a responsibility before him to work this thing out and to live it out in the body of Christ. The second thing is this. Go and lock yourself in a room for 30 minutes and put some bubble wrapper on the walls. And ask yourself this question. If money, time, my reputation, wanting to be like somebody else wasn't an issue, what would I want to do for Jesus Christ and his church? The Bible says that God gives us the desires of our heart because he puts those desires in our heart. We need to go take the time to go and find out what those desires are. The third thing is obviously pray and seek God. He, he, he diligently, he, God rewards those that diligently seek him. Seek him on it. Pray about it. Number four, and this is the most important one I think, is actually start doing something. Because it's in the doing that you see the gifting. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, man, I tried everything. And some stuff I was terrible, they asked me to leave. <laughs> they were gracious. <laughs> but I worked out over the years, man, this is how God's put me together. This is how God wants me to build the church. This is the gift God's given me. It took some time. It took some getting it wrong. It took some getting it right. But because I was engaging with it and working it out, God showed me and God began to hone it in my life. But if you're not going to engage in it and you're just gonna sit and watch, you'll never find out. I don't think you'll ever find out what your spiritual gift is. The last one is ask people around you. Ask those that are, are working with you in ministry, in the wherever, whatever ministry you're getting involved in, whichever way you use the gift. Ask mature believers around you because you see a gifting. I was thinking of you, Mignon. It's nice that you're here. You know, when you te- taught little school, to see your teaching gift. You know, if you had to come and say, what's my gifting? I'd say to you, Mignon, it's obvious, teaching, you know? That's what God's gifted you. You're gifted in that. I think of Karen. You know, Karen, watching you in Kitty Kingdom, there's a leadership gift over you. It's, it's so obvious. When, when we watch you operate and, and as you serve God, I think of you guys, Shane and Sharon. You know, this gifting of oversight and pastoring and leading that is so evident as you're serving God at the moment in the capacity that you are. And so people recognize and they see it. So if you're not actually involved and engaged, you're never gonna see it. And there's some ways that you can find out what your gifting is. I think of Daniel Simon, we're in Zambia. Daniel. And so we're all, we all excelling in the gift of serving. You know, we're cleaning up and we're doing all that. And Daniel pipes up one day and he says he thinks he's got the gift of supervision. And so uh, Daniel, I hope it, was, uh, it all worked out there. So God has given you a gift. You personally have a gift from God. The question is, what are you doing with that gift? The second thing we see is that he tells us that there's these gifts um, in verse 11, and he gave some as apostles, not all, some, 
as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And their job is to equip the saints for ministry. You know what their job is? Their job is that word equip means to mend or to add what is missing. Their job is to come alongside every believer in the church and say, let me help you. Ronnie, let me help you. What's God's call? What's God's purpose? What's God's function for you in this church? Okay, I'm gonna come alongside you. I'm gonna equip you. I'm gonna mend the broken stuff that needs to be fixed with you. We're gonna add what's missing. And you're going to be absolutely effective in everything God's called you to do. That's my job. That's what I do. And so God has given gifts to the church in the shape of men and women that come alongside you and help you grow in the call and the purposes and the giftings that God has for you. Three quick things, and I think we need to understand as we look at these giftings. One way of explaining these giftings is they're like player coaches. Have you ever seen a player coach? They're probably not good enough to be a player, so they become a player coach. But um, they play. They play the soccer game with you, but while they're doing it, they still coach you. That's what these giftings look like. You know what? We, as pastors, we are doing the same thing. We want to see our giftings, um, our personal giftings flourish. We want to see our personal giftings grow. But one of our calls, our call is to come alongside you and help you flourish and grow in the call and the gifting that God has for you. Three things quickly. Firstly, Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of their lives and imitate their faith. You know what, what you need to understand about the player coaches, the gifts that God has given to you and to me, is that they are examples that we should follow. We should be looking to them and learning from them. Over the years, I've had people say to me this quite regularly. Who do the pastors think they are to tell us how we should do ministry? Or how, who's the life group leader to come and tell me that this is the way I should be doing this? And who's the ministry leader? To, and I think to myself, you totally missed the point of what God is trying to do in your life. God is trying to put people alongside you so that you can become more effective and that you can grow. Can I tell you why? Because they've probably been there before and they can help you not make the same mistakes and they can help you to understand what's the best way to do this thing. The second thing we, we need to do is not just learn from them, but we must also work with them. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for this would be of no advantage to you. So we, we, these gifts that God has given us, we must learn from them and we must work with them. I think one of the most frustrating things as a pastor is this, when you encounter someone who is not in their gifting, they're in a space where they want to be because their friends are there or because they see it on TV and you come alongside them and you start to work with them and saying, this isn't the right space for you. I've, I've seen you minister. You're excellent with children. The young adults isn't your space. And their answer is, no, the Holy Spirit teaches me. The Holy Spirit teaches me. I don't need anybody to teach me. You know, I've had that said so many times to me. Or who do you think you are to tell me I should be there and not here? And I think to myself, we, we are missing the point of these gifts that God has put into our spaces so that we can grow and mature in, the, in our call, in our purpose, and in, in our call in our lives. The third thing is something that I felt the Lord lay on my heart. Is be obedient to God's call. If God's called you to be a player coach, and I think there are some of you watching, and I think there may be some of you here, and you know that God has called you to be an equipper of people. But instead of being in the game, you're sitting on the grandstand and you're watching. 
want to say to you that God is calling you to get off the grandstand and get back into the game. Because the church needs you. Because you're called by God and gifted by him to be a player coach and to play your part in helping equip the body so it can mature. So when we look at these gifts, there's two. There's gifts that God gives you, Otto, just for Otto. And then he gives people into the body that are going to help equip the body. For what? Good question. Verse 12 of Ephesians 4 says this. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's Paul saying? This is all he's saying. He's saying God has given gifts to the church, you, me. He's given player coaches to the church so that the church can mature. He's not talking about our individual maturing here. He's talking about the church maturing into the fullness of Christ. Think of it this way. If... um, Yvonne comes and he stands next to Otto when he's 21 years old. You'll say to them, I can see the reflection of Otto in in, in this man because he's a man now. We're looking at a man and a man and we can see. But when when he was one years old, Otto, they probably said his toes looked like, you've got the same toes. Because you couldn't see the fullness of the reflection in a one year old to their father. And now Jesus is the head of the church. He's the fullness of the church. He's the head and he's calling the body to start to mature, to reflect the fullness of the head. You see, it's weird when you've got a a child with a big head and a small body. And unfortunately, many churches are like that. We should be reflecting in the fullness of the church, the fullness of Jesus Christ to the world. But unfortunately, because the immaturity that there is in the church, we are reflecting a one-year-old, so they know who our father is, but they can't really see him. And so Paul is saying to us, it's our collective responsibility to use our gifts to grow life groups and to grow discipling and to grow counseling and to grow the youth ministry and to grow the hospitality ministry and to grow missions collectively so that all the areas of our church reflect the fullness of Jesus Christ so that the head and the body are proportionate and that the world will see him for all that he is. We get to the end of, um, of this chapter, and I think that the key to this whole chapter sits in the last verse. Remember, Paul has asked us to, to keep unity, and he's now asking us to use our gifts and, and to allow the gifts to mature the church, and that this is a collective responsibility. Both unity and both the maturing of the church is a collective responsibility which we all have a role to play. And he ends off this whole portion of scripture, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped. And he has the key. When each part is working properly. It makes the body grow so that if it builds itself up in love, I started by asking this question. Has the church drifted from its design? And I think we have a little drifted 
I'll tell you why I think we've drifted. Because when I look at this picture in Ephesians 4, this unified church, where people are working and eager to maintain unity, where people are eager to find their giftings and play their part in building up the church for the glory of God, I have to look at what church looks like today and I have to ask the question is, have we drifted? And I'll tell you my conclusion, why I say I think I have. Because I see that we're in this culture that we live in, which is so egocentric, that that has come into the church. And people don't serve God with their gifts unless there's something in it for them. Unless they get recognized. Unless it's about them. We see in this culture, this individual individualism of our society that this comes into church where people say I will serve God in my gifts on my terms whether I have time whether I like you or don't like you I know I'm the priest according to the New Testament so I don't need anybody else all I need is the Holy Spirit or I'll just Google it I don't need you. I think we live in a society which is so pro-diversity, but in fact, we are so opposite. Because if people don't speak like us, act like us, think like us, worship like us, then we don't want to play with them. But I think the last one is the worst one. We live in a society where it's about consumerism. And that's what church has become. It's about people coming to watch professionals perform. Whether it's the band or the preacher or the children's ministry or youth, whoever it is. And if you don't like it, you just shop somewhere else. And if they don't tick all the boxes, you just go somewhere else until somebody ticks some of the boxes and that's where you're going to watch them until they, they don't tick the boxes anymore and you're going to go to the next church and the next church and the next church. And so when I look at this, I think this isn't what Jesus has died for. Jesus died for a church that reflects him. A church that is uni unified like he is with the Father and, and, and the Holy Spirit. A church where we love each other despite our diversity. So it can be a reflection to the world of the love of God. And a church where each member is so passionate about it maturing and growing that they are going to invest their gift that God has given them all their lives to the good of the church so it can glorify God. That's what Jesus died for. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you that we are in your church. Father, as we sit here this morning, I think of, God, how do we fix this? And I realize, Lord, that we can because it's up to us. So help us, Father, I pray. Help us to be good managers and good stewards of the gifts you give so that we can see your church mature and reflect the fullness of Christ in this world. Father, help us to maintain unity so we can see the love of Christ in the diversity of your people. And Father, I just pray for all of us this, this, this morning. I pray for those that are on the, on the grandstand watching the show. I pray, Lord, that you would arrest their hearts today. 
Father, that you'll bring them onto the, onto the playing field and they'll do amazing things for you, for your glory. I pray for those that are, are engaged, that you'll strengthen them, that you'll continue to hone them and equip them to be impactful for you and for your kingdom and for your glory, Lord. And Lord, we just bring your church to you today. We ask for your blessing over us, Lord, and that you would be reflected through us. In Jesus' name, amen.